Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I am your host, Robert Rogers, and the founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004, now almost two decades ago. It is an honor and a privilege for me to host Dr. Christian Hegeseth, uh, who is an 82-year-old retired psychiatrist who I have had the honor of being a guest on the show several times previously. Dr. Hegeseth is going to talk about his journey down the road to recovery. Dr. Hegeseth, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Well, Robert, I thank you for having me on. Uh, It's really something for me to look back over the years of having Parkinson's because actually my first symptoms were evident when I was 70. Then no, take that back. My first was when I was 65. My first motor symptoms when I was 70. And here I am 82. And very interesting, my dog is barking, and I didn't close the door. Give me one second. Apologize to everybody. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Hello to your dog from everyone here who's listening to the interview. Anyway, my perspective on Parkinson's has changed because I've had it longer. But it doesn't in any way discourage me from what I've held all from the beginning. And that is the importance of a person with Parkinson's to start out, and pardon this, I'm not swearing, but it's a very great book called Be a Badass. And this woman wrote a great book about that, and it's the idea of really standing up and being uh, assertive, or in her case, even aggressive. And the attitude that we start with Parkinson's with is so critical because I've had so I ran our Parkinson's support program in Fort Collins, Colorado for eight years. And so I've had a chance to see a lot of people with Parkinson's come through. And those people that gave up when they got started, oh, my God, I've got Parkinson's. No. I calculated that if, when I had, when I got diagnosed, when I was 70, formal diagnosis, I found that... Uh, <clears throat> My life expectancy would be 84.1 years. Right now, I'm at 82.4, and I'm not slowing down. So I'm living my normal life expectancy from diagnosis. People need to know that. They they need to say, by God, just give give me the tools, and I can work on it. And the tools that I got onto at the beginning, I still believe in. First tool is, as my neurologist said, exercise, exercise, exercise. And he was an ultra marathoner. He's the guy that ran 100-mile runs in the Colorado mountains. It took him a whole day. But I did. I've run five marathons in my life, but I wasn't a jock. Heck, when I, when I came out of high school, I was not an athlete. When I was in college, I didn't do anything. I was a student. I was a scholar. I was an academic. And the change happened for me, actually, interestingly. 
because when the Vietnam War was on, I, well, I was, I was there when it got. But anyway, I volunteered and went to flight school in the Navy to become a Navy flight surgeon. And by God, did they kick our butt physically. It taught us a lot. But, I mean, taking me out in the Gulf of Mexico and leaving me in a, in a raft for eight hours in December, uh, climbing up a rope ladder like you saw in the old World War II movies, I just got medical school internship. I couldn't do any of that. But I got the idea of I can. And then I went with Marine Corps. All the better. And so when you look at these young men in videos of the Marines and you see them standing straight and tall and sharp, they weren't that way when they came in. They got made that way. And I'd like people to make themselves when Parkinson's is on their plate, by God, I'm going to be a badass with Parkinson's and I'm going to kick its butt. I'm going to be a Marine. And sure, there's a lot to know about it. Sure, there's a lot to take seriously. But look, if I've had Parkinson's for 18 years, if I can't kid about it, nobody can. And so I said is exercise, exercise, exercise. So after I got out of the military, I found I still loved running. And I had a busy general practice before I went into psychiatry, and I still went running, and I loved it. And I always felt I could, so that's how I trained up to do a marathon. A lot of people are going, I don't know, you're a marathon runner, you're something special. No, I'm not something special. I started out as an academic slug, slouched in my book desk and reading. We can change. We can change our attitudes. We can change our minds. That's what psychiatry is about. It's helping people understand they can make a different change. They need intelligent goals and understanding of the way they work, but they can. So I say now to anybody looking at Parkinson's, you can. And I did. And now... 18 years that I've had symptoms of this disease, and I say, I am so glad that I exercised, exercised, exercised. Because it had made these years pretty darn good. Supplied you with a couple pictures before we had our, our meeting here. And one picture in particular is really something special. Because in my town of Fort Collins, Colorado, we're right up next to the Rockies. And right up on the edge of town, we've got a place called Horse Tooth Rock. And it is spectacular. And it's a steep climb. And it was uh, five years ago, 2018. And a person here in my community wanted to do a video on me showing what I felt about Parkinson's. And... Uh, <clears throat> I thought it was great. So anyway, she and a cameraman and uh, one other helper, we hiked up to this rock. And the last bit is climbing with hands and feet. Mind you, this is five years ago. I had Parkinson's at that point for 12, 13 years. And I climbed up that rock and I brought my mat for my yoga and I rolled it out on top of that rock. 
And the cameraman had a drone, and he pulled the drone off at the distance, and I on top of that rock was doing yoga. And I felt good. I felt great. That's what I want to help people do. That At that point, I was uh, 12, 13, 14 years after my first symptoms, and I'm climbing this big rock, and I'm standing up and doing yoga by myself on the winds. We can change the attitude of people with Parkinson's. And I can. Not, and oh my God, I'm so worried and scared. You can do it. And I knew when I went to climb that rock, physically, I was, I'm not anywhere in what I was one time. Of course not. I'm 82. But I still did it. And that's, that's, when I look back, I say, my exercise, gosh, that was that. That was really a big deal. And I'm so glad that I did it. That's the way I did it. No yoga. Why do yoga? Well, let me give a sidebar here because I've, I've had a problem with a broken hip and stuff like that. I could I can't do what I once did. But I started swimming to get my uh, heart rate up and get some cardiovascular fitness, and I found swimming is a great exercise for your heart. It doesn't do much for Parkinson's per se because why? When you're swimming, the water is buoying you up. Gravity isn't the issue. In Parkinson's, gravity is the issue. Pulling you to fall, what have you. So while swimming, I think, is a great way to get cardiovascular fitness, which is important. I'm also going to say that the need to deal with gravity is, is works out in your brain and your mind and your body together by yoga. Because what is yoga? Why? I reasoned when I started yoga. Now, again, I hadn't done a stitch of yoga. And I was 70 years old. And I said, this disease is working in my brain. And it's dependent on giving bad signals to my body or getting bad signals from my body back to my brain. And therefore, I want to keep those communication channels open. And I'm going to do that with yoga. Because when I go to put myself into a warrior too, my brain is saying, okay, get your arms level, get your arms level, do this, do that, do that. And I'm cascading from my motor cortex to every muscle in my body, listen to the way I want to do this. And the proprioceptors are reporting back to my brain, this is what we feel, this is what we feel, this is what we feel. And so yoga gives me a chance to keep my brain and muscle connections in. And I know, I darn well know that that has been a really big deal. And yoga, it also, it does a great deal for strength. And then what's the other thing? Motor problem, stiffness, rigidity. Yoga stretches it all. And so there is yoga out now called chair yoga. And uh, for people with degrees of disability. But I'll get to this in a little bit, but 
two year, two and a half years ago, about I fell and broke my right knee, and three months later, broke my right hip. Awful. And so there's a lot that I can't do anymore. But when I went to uh, talk to my yoga instructor again after healing up, she said, "Well, I got chair yoga. Come do chair yoga." And so help me is a phrase that we used to have. It's like kissing your sister. It, there's just no nothing to it. Nothing, no thrill, no nothing. And I want to work. And the uh, chair yoga, I'm not, again, I'm not thriving. If I take chair yoga, if they did, that's the best they can do, do it. I found, I took it, and it was too mus- wussy. Wussy. It wasn't enough. I I didn't stretch hard. I didn't work hard. I didn't sweat. So now I've gone back to yoga. And I don't always make it through the hour. And I might sweat so much that my shirt almost needs to be wrung out. But I do the yoga at 82 years old. So yoga educates and keeps my neural pathways between my motor cortex and my sensory cortexes in check. And I believe that keeps a fitness to the very area that Parkinson's strikes. Okay, so I, my running, my exercise, my exercise, yoga. Yeah, that's that's the deal. And I think you might have another question for me, but I'm just checking here and see what did I say. Oh, yes. One point, I've got notes. And the note is about carbidopa, levodopa. We all know that people with Parkinson's get their tank of carbon of, of, of dopa, dopamine in parts of their brain, the substantia nigra and basal ganglia, gets depleted and gets worried and torn and turned into a toxic substance called alpha synuclein. And the treatment for Parkinson's, and I was in medical school when dopamine was first released. And I remember our neurology professors, this was in 66, saying, you know, there's a new day for Parkinson's because we finally have something to treat these symptoms with. And it was. It was great. But when I got diagnosed, I studied more, and there's a problem called dyskinesia. In dyskinesia, there is a levodopa-induced dyskinesia. And it means that if I take enough levodopa, which I take, by the way, as a pill called cinnamon or carbolevodopa, I take my dopamine. There's a time when it begins to have a problem in my body and starts a new movement disorder called dyskinesia. And people who know about Parkinson's have seen Michael J. Fox. And it's a sad thing seeing Michael J. Fox because of all of his movements. But if you see, he's moving all over. It's uncontrolled movement. A lot of that is because of the meds he has taken. But in his case, also for some surgery he's had. So I just realize, and I, this is my reasoning, I'm not going to take levodopa until I must. And the must came to me right about 2020. So I've been on carbidopa levodopa now 
it does help. And now I can no longer do without it. But I also know that I don't have dyskinesias induced by that. So if I haven't driven you off of my words, I'm ready to talk to you about the next thing that comes to your mind. You're listening to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is Dr. Christian <clears throat> Hagaseth. Looking back then, if you had started L-DOPA 12 years ago, do you think you'd be worse off today? I know I would be. And uh, that's, again, it's a pretty blurry thing, but I... As a psychiatrist and as a clinician, we don't like to make profound statements. We want to hedge our bets. We want to be sensitive. I might be wrong percentage-wise, but I'll say, yes, I know I'm better than if I started the carbolivodopa back then. Now, uh, I'm going to get to this later because I made notes myself is that uh, Parkinson's, I think, is misunderstood if people call it a movement disorder. It's a diffuse brain disorder that among the symptoms you get are movement problems. Because now that I've had it for 18 years, I'm learning a lot of them. And partly it's because I'm 82 and partly it's because of Parkinson's. I just forgot what I was going to say. People that happens when they're 40. But anyway, um, yes, I oh, must have been about 2013, uh, 14. I had just started directing our support group here in Fort Collins, Colorado. And uh, there had been a few younger people with younger onset Parkinson's that were uh, still in the workforce. And uh, I wound up meeting with a small group of five or six. And there's one guy there that I professed my conviction that exercise was so critical. And also that I wanted to kind of play it cool around medicine. And he he's a sharp engineering guy, but he also didn't really trust me or wondering if a psychiatrist really knew what he was talking about. And he kind of pushed it that, ah, you know, you're a psychiatrist, you're not a real doctor. And if my neurologist says I should be taking levodopa, I'm going to take it. And uh, I'm not going to argue with this neurologist. I'm not a neurologist, but okay. And uh, then a couple of years later, he began to show up a couple of times at meetings. And then now when the pandemic got over with and, they finally opened up the support meetings again. I came to a meeting and he was there and he has levodopa induced dyskinesia. Not bad. Not as bad as Michael J. Fox. But still, he's got these rolling shoulder movements and his head is kind of bobbing and he can't in his arms. It's a totally different picture from Parkinson's with our rigidity and tremor. And so I am glad that I put it off until I had to. And so 
knowing that we're going to talk today, I got a hold of a young man in Texas, young man, 60, uh, again, about six, seven years ago. And at the time, he was scared. And I, I gave him a lot of reason to see things my way, and he did. And he uh, agreed that he was going to not do the uh, dopa routine, and he was going to carry on. Well, we lost track of each other here, and so when I was coming on the show today, I thought, I'm going to give Rich a call. Called him up and said, how are you doing, Rich? And he said, you know, I'm doing really good. And he listed, well, he, he did a supplement a lot, and that's cool. But he said that uh, he only started his L-Dopa a year ago. Now, he was diagnosed seven years ago or so. And he's gone, he went six years without taking it after the point that his neurologist said he should. And I said, what do you think? He said, I think it's really made a difference. I take some dopa now, but I don't take a lot. And I feel good. And I say, my gosh, you know, that's wonderful. He feels good because he's a cool guy. He's got a wonderful wife and a great marriage. But he's, he's good because he... He kind of got the idea that I talked about is, you know, he took charge. And he's taking the dopamine now, small dose, and that's cool. So the answer to your question is, yeah, I believe if I started it and gone at a higher dose that I had a problem. Now, we'll speak that my uh, neurologist, when I made my first visit with him, uh, agreed that we should put it off for a little while, but we tried Azelect, which is so expensive and you can't tell anything for years. All, all we know is it slows down perhaps. And a couple other things. And then he, he did try some dope drugs and my tremor wasn't that bad. I didn't think it helped so I quit it and that was it. So, yeah. I'm glad I put it off. And I'm glad that I'm on it now because it helps me a lot. So that's where I stand with medications at this point. How have your Parkinson's symptoms evolved over the five and a half years since you were last a proud guest on Parkinson's Recovery Radio? Okay, well, this has been a cool education for me. And uh, I'm glad I'm getting educated and I can educate other people too because now that I look back over these several years since you and I last talked, several things have come up that have caused me to want to emphasize to people with Parkinson's that calling Parkinson's a movement disorder is only it's like saying that a, a piece of bread is a sandwich. It's only part of it. Because no question that Parkinson's is a diffuse brain disorder. Because I now have had the emergence of a bunch of different symptoms. And when I'm not sure what it is, I go and look it up and it's, oh, my gosh, it's Parkinson's. Now, I'll give you an example because this just happened in the last two, three weeks. I have had a problem with the mucus in the back of my throat. And so, and I've, I've developed asthma. That's not a Parkinson's, just me. 
I've had this mucus draining the back of my throat. So I was going, <coughs> swallow the mucus, and then after a little while, more mucus appears, and I <coughs> clear my voice again. And, uh, I mean, it drives people sometimes crazy if they're in a room with me because I don't know I'm doing this. But I have this thick mucus in the back of my throat. And I, this is only two, three weeks old. And I began to look up Parkinson's and mucus, and by gosh, turns out that people who have Parkinson's a while, that the normal thin secretions in the back of their throat, in their oral nasal pharynx, thicken. And when they thicken, you get harder mucus to move. The little cilia don't get rid of it, so you have to go... <coughs> That was real. I just did that as an illustration, but that's what it, that's what it is. So it turns out that the thickening of the mucus is a part of the process that leads to dysphagia. Dysphagia is not dysphagia. Dysphagia is difficulty or discomfort in swallowing. And it starts out feeling like just post-nasal drip. And so I um, got on it and been much more careful in getting saline sprays into my uh, nose and stuff and needing to treat that. And um, this is, again, really interesting that we're talking now because just four nights ago, my wife and I were, were talking and we we were talking and watching TV and nibbling a little bit at the same time. And so I just took a bite of Ritz cracker and took a bite. And with you Parkinson's, we get lazy and we don't swallow completely. We don't swallow well. We don't chew enough to get the thing wet. And what happened is I had a fleck of Ritz cracker that as I inhaled, went right down and hit a vocal cord, and it was scary. When that happens, the body's reaction is called laryngospasm. Laryngospasm means that the instinct in the left your body says, I'm going to keep these vocal cords tight together because I don't want anything to get in the lungs. But when that happens, you don't breathe. That's choking. That's what choking is, is when something gets on those vocal cords and they slam shut and you can't breathe. I fell forward out of my chair, not fell, climbed out, got down on my hands, hands and knees. And my wife said, are you okay? And I said, and she brought the water and I got the, I got the relentrospasm calm in about a minute to two minutes. But then I have a lot of mucus and a lot of fitness. And I realized that when I saw an occupational therapist early in my diagnosis, she had talked to me about this. And so I say to anybody with Parkinson's, you start getting a lot of mucus in the back of your throat, you start clearing your throat, you start coughing, Get yourself to an occupational therapist. These people know what they're doing, and they will show you how to change 
you're eating. I know. My wife takes her all the occupational therapist, so she chides me. She says, chew more, chew more. And uh, she insists that when we watch TV at night, I have a glass of water beside me. Because I drink a glass of water right now. <clears throat> because if I know what can kill me, I can do something about it, and choking could. But I'm on top of it. So this dysphagia and the thick mucus is something that really became real to me only in the last week. And I laugh again, she's scared. She said, should I leave you alone? Yeah, you can leave me alone because <clears throat> I've got a glass of water here. And now if I know what's happening, I can do something about it. So that's one. Another one that has come on me is called anomia. Anomia is a specific language disturbance which comes as a result of brain damage. But that brain damage, in my case, is Parkinson's. And what happens is you suddenly can't retrieve a word that you know well. It's a simple word, like the word Walmart. And talking to my wife, I'm, I'm going to go to that... Uh, 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 you think I can find the word Walmart anywhere? No. And, you know, the first thing that happened two, three, four years ago, I began to think, am I getting dementia? No, it's not dementia. It's anomia. It is a specific brain disorder that happens for people with Parkinson's where you lose a word. And, of course, there is, oh, I don't lose words enough. You don't lose words the way I do. You don't lose the word Walmart and uh, stuff like that. So, anomia, dysphagia, with thick throat. Another one that's happened that doesn't happen that often in Parkinson's, but it's happened with me. It's got a good clinical name. It's called pseudo-bulbar affect. Pseudo-false. Bulbar refers to a part of the brain, and affect means mood or feeling. Pseudo-over-affect, when it begins to emerge, in my case, if I experience a deep, sentimental meaning, I cry. I don't feel sad. I cry. And you know it's embarrassing? Because people are very understanding, and so they want to comfort you, and I, I say, I'm not sad. I'm not hurt. I'm not upset. I'm crying because my brain has the wrong wires. And so I'm crying because it's an intense emotion. It happens a lot around my grandchildren. I have a really <laughs> wonderful, wonderful granddaughters, and I see I know if I got them to mind, <laughs> this happens, and all I've got for them is love. And yet, it happens. And so, pseudo vulgar affect, because I do speak publicly in groups, I now make it part of my opening remarks. I have pseudo vulgar affect because I got Parkinson's disease, 
And if I get touched and moved emotionally, I might cry, but I'm not sad and I'm definitely not depressed. Another one uh, is that uh, Parkinson's has an effect on your skin. It can get oily and flaky. And it's in restricted parts of your body. In my case, it's on my chest. And so if I just happen to scratch, if I don't have a shirt on because I don't tend to scratch my chest, I will wind up with a little bit of epidermal debris under my fingernails. It's because the skin is different. Now, whoever told you that Parkinson's causes disturbance of the skin? Oh, when I saw my, my uh, dermatologist here four or five years ago, I said, if she knew about it, she said, yeah, that was a question on my, my uh, boards for becoming a dermatologist, is what does Parkinson's disease do to the skin? It makes it flaky and oily. Now, another thing that happened, and it's come, this has been in the last year to two years, is I've had more trouble at sleep which I'm going to talk about next. But I had a trouble specifically of having pain in my back, sufficient that I could not stay in our very comfortable bed, our sleep number one bed, and I would go out and get in the recliner and sleep that way. And only recently that I figured that out. And that is because, and I'll get to this one later, I started taking vitamin B1, thiamine, which is now found to be pretty darn helpful for people with Parkinson's. I started taking my thiamine, and at night when I slept, my rigidity did not kick in and put my back into a place where I developed pain. It let my back relax. Now, I haven't slept in the recliner now for two, three months because the thiamine made the spasms milder. So to understand that your back pain with Parkinson's is caused because your rigidity and your, and your mattress are not talking to each other. I'll tell you what, I've got two more to go, but I don't want to just talk all the time. You might have something you want to do. <laughs> go ahead, Ron. i got two more to go on from there. Well, you've mentioned several therapies that have been truly important and essential to you, yoga and exercise. Could you summarize for our listening audience what you would consider to be the essential elements of your approach to addressing Parkinson's symptoms? Yeah. Um, I think what I'm doing right here is that this, the essential elements are Attitude, don't give up until it's time to give up. Attitude. Our culture, polite and kind people in our culture, are very sympathetic to those of us with with, um, Parkinson's. And I had this experience a long time ago. It was when I was, well, I was 70. I was just just when I got the formal diagnosis, and I ran into a woman who I had known 10 years earlier. We had been 
very good friends, very close friends, and we've spent quite a bit of time together. Then her, she's a professor, and her life took her elsewhere, and I ran into her in the grocery store, and you know, said, hi, how are you, how are you? And I said, hey, I just got diagnosed with Parkinson's. And her eyebrows quivered, her nose quivered, and she teared up, and I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. And well-meaning, kind people mean that, and they like that, and I'm glad they're sympathetic. But what it does is we've got a cultural attitude that says, if you've got Parkinson's, I'm going to feel sorry for you. And we need to have an attitude adjustment. We who have Parkinson's. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. I'm working really well. And you know what? I am so glad that I don't have end-stage kidney disease, that I have to sit in a hospital bed four to five hours, three days a week and get my blood cleaned up. I am so glad I don't have amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, which means in three years I'm going to be dead. I am so glad that I don't have uh, my brother severe advanced coronary disease. And for some reason, he's never had a problem with his fibrillation, but he goes in and out of congestive heart failure every week. And he's been in the nursing facility for three years. And so when people are feeling sorry, and kindly so, I say to myself and to them, it's okay. Because I can do something with Parkinson's. I can do something with it. And my brother can't do anything with his cardiovascular. Oh, he walked and he exercised when he should, but he's, he's got a bad heart. He's got about as much muscle as a leather sack. And so there are so many reasons I'm so glad that I don't have other things and that I do have Parkinson's. We're all going to die of something. We are. One of my dear friends, his wife now, has had Alzheimer's for three years. And he faithfully takes her wherever he goes. She recognizes me most of the time. But otherwise, he's just a sheet of who she formerly was. But I've got Parkinson's and I walk around and I get anomia. I don't always remember, but my God, I'm doing okay. So don't cry for me for my Parkinson's. It's as good of a diminished as a uh, chronic neurological disease as you can have, and it's a hell of a lot better than a lot of things. So attitude, exercise, I've gone over and over and over. You know that. And I'll just go on here a little bit more and just talk more what I wanted to finish up on about what I've learned, because I've learned about sleep is that as a psychiatrist, we're worried about sleep because the most common sign of clinical depression is messed up sleep for people. And so the psychiatrist, that was a key part of what I had to do is make sure that I could ensure that we could get a nice good night's sleep. And sleeping pills don't do it because if your depression is causing you to not sleep, sleeping pill only doesn't help the mood. It helps you sleep for some while. So the sleep disturbances in Parkinson's are complex, and I'm still having problems working this one out. 
and then um, fatigue. I am so glad that I climbed a 14,000-foot mountain here in Colorado three years after I was diagnosed because today, because of my hip, my knee, and my Parkinson's, I can make it a little more than a while, mostly on the level. But look what I was able to do all those years. So fatigue, when you have the Parkinson's as long as I had, is not being tired like you worked hard. It's like you don't have anything in your tank. And I'm reaching the point that because of the sleep issue, I may in an afternoon be with my wife and say, excuse me, I'm going to check out, and I pull a blanket over me and I sleep for 30 minutes. Part of Parkinson's, a diffuse brain disorder with multiple symptoms. So, I hope I answered your question. You indeed did, uh, Christian Hagesseth. So you've mentioned the importance of exercise. I really consider you to be somewhat of an exercise guru. What, from your experience, is the best form of exercise for persons diagnosed with Parkinson's? The best form of exercise for everybody is walking. And when you walk, you need to watch the Marine Corps marching, or a good Army Guard group in the marching, or maybe, okay, military. And what do I mean? Here's a secret that I just learned about recently that nobody ever told me. You know when you slump, people with Parkinson's slump over and take short steps and their arms don't swing? Dopamine drugs don't help that. Dopamine replacement will make, not make you stand straight, will not make you take big steps, and will not have you swing your arms. That takes your own mind to do that. So walking, I counsel people, I've got it on my website, is when you're going to start walking, and I do this consciously, I stand up extra straight. I stand at a, if listeners look at the word somewhere called parade rest, as parade rest is I'm standing with my legs fairly wide apart. I have my hands behind my back at belt level, and I have my chin up, my neck straight, my back straight, and smile. Because when I walk, I have to think consciously not to slouch, not to slump, to keep my arms swinging properly, and to take long strides. You can diagnose a Parkinson walk because this little small shuffling steps. The other thing I do walking is if the bottom of my shoe scuffs the sidewalk or the road that I'm walking on, you hear it. Walking, your arms swinging, your head held high, and long strides. And if you hear your foot scraping the ground, pick up your feet and walk that way. Walking is the best exercise for Parkinson's because it's the most natural. It will get your heart rate up. It will condition you, and it's not dangerous. 
And so the best exercise is walking. And I did this earlier, and I would do it now if I could. I loved weightlifting. And weightlifting, I don't think, has the effect on Parkinson's and walking does. But what it does is, especially for guys, it gives us a martial feeling which we need. And when I lifted weights and was doing well about uh, 2017, uh, there's a guy that was at Parkinson's and was on a uh, TV show, America, about Ninja Warriors. And he's Ninja Warrior. And he came to our place in Denver and talked. And I went down there. And afterwards, I got back talking to him. And at that point, I was worth lifting weights. And I said, hey, should we do push-ups? And we got down, and I did 38 push-ups in a row, and he broke into a Now, I'm not going to tell you, push-ups are not going to make your Parkinson's better, per se, because they don't work on some of the major things. But it works on your mind. And so right now, I struggle to get 10 push-ups out, but I still do it. And so the exercise is good. It doesn't treat Parkinson's, but it treats my mind any exercise I do that makes me feel that I'm doing well. But a simple exercise my wife and I do right now is we have a ball. We play catch. 10, 12 feet apart, we play catch. Because what it's doing, playing catch is making me have to use eye-hand coordination to catch. My throwing, I don't throw very well anymore. And so it, it helps. So I guess exercise diversity is a very, very critical part of going on with, with exercise. You are listening to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I am your host, Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. My guest today is Christian Haggison. Do you think... Christian Hagesis, that if you tried more options or maybe even tried harder, that you would be able to beat Parkinson's? I think that that is a good motivational thought. I think when a person's early in the disease, that's a good thought because it motivates the person to keep, keep going. In retrospect, I know, of course I know, I won't beat Parkinson's. Parkinson's is not going to win, but it's going to be there when I die of something else. And so um, I don't think that the cure of Parkinson's happens. This puts me into a real difficult spot, but there are only a handful three or four people that say they have been cured of Parkinson's. I mean, I got I to digress here. On Facebook, there are a number of places, groups of people with Parkinson's disease. In fact, there are eight or nine or ten where people with Parkinson's come down and they exchange Facebook kind of stuff. And there is a people that are claiming that this one doctor cures Parkinson's. And they come in with the word cure. And it just ticks me off. I don't believe that they're honest. 
I know of the people that are well known publicly as having claimed that they're cured of Parkinson's. I know one or two of them probably didn't have the real Parkinson's. So this thing about cure, if I tried harder, nah, I'd still be I'd still be where I am today. I think I'm about optimal about where I could be. And uh, to tell you the truth, I don't know anybody who has really cured their Parkinson's. And I think for people to brandish that about is uh, dishonest or mistaken or misled. And so I make it clear when I talk to people, because I like to coach people. I like to talk to people about their Parkinson's. It makes me happy to work with people. Uh, because when I'm when I'm coaching them, it's like you're going to have this, but you're going to do well. Uh, I have a a, a woman, Southern part of the United States, who started with me talking here about two three months ago, and her Parkinson's is unusual because it affected one side of her body more her leg than her arm. It's just a difficult thing, and she went to her neurologist on the first visit. The minute he had her diagnosed, he was writing out the carbidopa prescription and handing it to her without saying a word to her about exercise. And she uh, heard about my ideas and she got in touch. And uh, he's going to give it a try. I never tell anybody to leave a neurologist. I'm not, I'm not doing that, but I'm saying I've got a different approach. And she likes the idea of not taking dopamine drugs right now. And she's got a lot of hope. And she is a swimmer. She swims well. And she just also does yoga. And she got back to it. She hadn't done as much yoga. And she said when she got back to it, she had realized just how stiff she was. And uh, so that whole thing about cure is um, it's a good hope. It's a good motivator. And I predict uh, 25 years from now we're going to have medicine that might make my stage of Parkinson's not happen anymore. But I don't want to talk about cure, but I want to talk about making the most of your life when you can. In fact, my website that I put up now is called Make Making the Most of Parkinson's Diseases makemostofpd.com. And that's what, that's what I'm telling you. Make the most of it. Heck, I was, I was 70 years old when I knew for certain, certain I had it. I'm 82 now, and look what I've done in those years. I've had, I've had some really good experiences. Uh, uh, let's see. Did I talk to you about my climbing up the mountain outside of my home? Did I talk to you about that, Robert? You did, a little earlier. And letter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I got my notes here. Well, uh, there's outside of my town here, outside of Fort Collins, a beautiful city. Don't move here, we're too busy. Anyway, we got a place called Horse Tooth Rock, and it's a very prominent feature of our horizon. And uh, again, in 2017, uh, a local woman who... Um, was trying to find motivational subjects for people, selected me to make a short video 
that she would make, and it had to do with what I do with Parkinson's. And what she did is she wanted to have me climb up on top of that rock and do yoga. And that's five years ago now. And so hiking up that trail, what's a bit of a stretch? Because there's not two, two and a half miles at the top, and it's pretty steep, and you've got to climb. But I did. And I climbed up, and I brought my yoga mat with me. And I got on top of the rock. And the cameraman had a drone. This is one of the first times I've ever seen a drone doing video. And I got on top of that rock overlooking my home city, and I did yoga. And that drone flew around taking pictures of me. Now, that's what I talk and I'm telling people about live with your Parkinson's. That was exciting. It was wonderful. I look at that picture now. My granddaughters look at it. They get so thrilled about their grandpa, grandfather. He climbed it like that. He's 82 years old. My golly, that's cool. So doing things that I never have even thought of. I'm doing. I'm doing less now. I got Parkinson's. I've had it for 18 years. But that's okay. I'm living out my life expectancy. And uh, that's that. That's pretty darn good. So let's see here. <sighs> Christian, could you very slowly, could you very slowly spell out your website address for people who need to write that down? Yes. Most. M-O-S. No. Sorry. Back up. Make. M-A-K-E. Most. M-O-S-T. Of. O-F. P-D. Dot com. Make most of DD, all one word, dot com. Thanks. But I want to get on to one other thing here that um, is critical today, and that is vitamin B1, also known as thiamine. There has been uh, some very good information placed on the Internet about vitamin D1. I have been a skeptic of vitamins and curing or helping diseases. And I had the good fortune in 1971 to be invited to the house of Linus Pauling, the man that won two Nobel Prizes, won the Peace Prize and the other in physics. Because he had just come up with the idea that vitamin C would cure the common cold. He was a real gentleman. His wife gracious, and they were so kind to have my wife and me come during the mid-afternoon. We had tea, too. Lives in Big Sur. You can look out at the ocean and see the sea otters. But when I talked to him about why he believes the, believed the vitamin C cured the common cold, he said that he had talked to Dr. Sense Yorgi, I can't spell his name, who also is a Nobel Prize winner from Europe. And he said he had been using vitamin C and it was curing his cold. And so Linus Pauling started taking it. 
that by gosh, I'm not getting calls anymore. And so all of the personnel in his laboratory started taking vitamin C. And when I was at the laboratory, they didn't have to get calls anymore. Well, guess what? We still get calls. It wasn't true. Vitamin C doesn't do that. So I've been very suspicious about things, but the the, the writing about the uh, B1 thiamine was convincing of a neurologist in Italy had taken up that study, and he's deceased now. But they're, they're following on form, and they talk about taking big doses, and they describe exactly how to do it. And since thiamine is non-toxic, you can't hurt yourself with it, take it. I believe, my opinion, is anybody with Parkinson's ought take it. But read the book. And I don't have the name handy because I got Parkinson's. I don't remember the title of the book. But it has to do with, with vitamin B1, thiamine, for treating Parkinson's. Because as I talked about earlier, when I started the thiamine, at night, the rigidity in my back relaxed enough that I didn't know how to get out, have to get out of bed and go and sleep in a recliner. And I was aware that there was a fluidity to my movement that wasn't there before. So I'm just going to recommend. I don't know how it's going to hurt anybody. Just don't go and get the vitamin uh, B1 at the uh, vitamin shop. Find the book. Her name, I can't remember. But uh, anyway, just Google vitamin B1 and Parkinson's and you'll find it. And I just say, don't start until you read it because the dosing is important and it comes in many different forms. So cure uh, PD with it, but I know it's made me better and I'm now readily recommending it to people. And if it doesn't work, you've lost a couple of dollars. That's all. Okay, my friend. We're eating up the time. For members, for members of the audience, I actually, 10 years ago, interviewed the Italian neurologist who had formulated the proposal that vitamin B1 would be beneficial to persons with Parkinson's. If you'd like to be able to have a link to that interview and listen to it, be sure to email me. I would be happy to send it. Chris Hackeseth, uh, I understand you do coaching, and so how can people get in touch with you if they'd like uh, to be able to connect with you? Website. My website that I just gave you the email address is the one way. <clears throat> and what do I do about coaching people? Well, first of all, I'm a doctor, and I do charge for my time, but not a lot. Anybody can talk to me anytime for, for 15 to 20 minutes. Nah, I'll just talk to them. But what? I do when we when I talk is I you can tell I'm a motivator and believe me people with Parkinson's need a motivator they they need somebody that talks like me that is going to say be a badass and get out there after this disease and do something because there's so much kindness and sympathy but we 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 we're not motivating so I motivate and I'm specific in helping them understand uh, how they're walking and uh, 
I don't give advice on diet because my diet isn't that great and I don't know that it's made much difference in my life. And so anybody, the one thing we do know about Parkinson's and diet is that the Mediterranean diet is by far the best way to go. And I get that on authority from people that know it a lot better than me. So the coaching is I motivate people to keep going. And I know, well, again, I mentioned the young man Rich down in Texas. He, he thanked me yesterday when I was checking in on him. He said, you know, you motivated me. No, I could do this. And it helped. That's why I want to do it. I became a psychiatrist. I became a doctor because I wanted to help people. I can't practice anymore. I haven't practiced for years. But I can still help people. And it, for me, is at the level of a calling. When listeners reflect back one week from now after having listened to your wonderful presentation, what would you most want them to remember? It's a diffuse brain disease. Your attitude is critical to your success with it. Dr. Christian Hageseth, thank you so much for taking the time once again for being a guest on Parkinson's Recovery Radio. I'm so grateful that you do this, Robert. You know, before I even heard of you and I got Parkinson's, somebody said to me somewhere in some locker room sometime, you got Parkinson's, you got to see this guy. He's got this radio program. His name is, uh, you know, Robert. And Stumbled around and told in Robert Rogers. And so I checked. I thought, what a service you're doing for the world. My gosh, my friend. And for 20 years now, you've been helping do the very thing I talk about, which is help the attitude. Even if they don't get cured, you're helping a lot of people. And it's an honor to be a guest on your show. Thanks a lot. Well, and for the many thousands of listeners of Parkinson's Recovery Radio, we all thank you, Dr. Christian Hageseth. And that's what's happening here on the shores of the, you guessed it, Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are, of course, handsome, and all of the children are profoundly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact that you've been listening to this incredible presentation by Dr. Hageseth, that you indeed, using your own intuition, your own good judgment, you are traveling down the road to recovery from the symptoms that are associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Thank you so much for joining us today on this amazing presentation by Dr. Hageseth. May you have a spectacular week ahead. <music>